talk to you today about crowdsourcing, uh, Acts 23, verses 11 through 35. We're going to finish the book of Acts in the next five weeks. And in September, the second week of September, we'll begin a series from the book of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 11 specifically, and the beginnings and what that looks like and all the theological and personal implications of what that looks like. So excited about that and excited about preparing for that. Today I want to talk to you about crowdsourcing. Now I have an amazing daughter. Actually, Julie and I have an amazing daughter. Her name is Sarah. Many of you know her. She had been an intern here years ago. She's a graduate of Southern Seminary. She's married to a man. Praise God. He's a good guy mostly. I love him, I do, but she's married to somebody else. She's not my, I'm not the closest man in her life. I'm grateful for that, but she's my little girl, you know? And uh, Sarah and I, I'm close to all my kids, but she and I are kind of think on the same wavelength. Do you have someone like that or maybe a child or a friend in your life? You can just know what they're thinking pretty much. And when you see something or experience something, you go, I know what Sarah would think about that. And when I talk to her on the phone or I FaceTime her, I see a thought come across her face. I'm like, I know exactly what that means. We're just kind of cued in on each other. And I think I know what she's thinking. Or do I? Because sometimes I'll be wrong. I'll miss something and she'll call me up. I remember she was in school and she's like, Dad, I'm changing, I want to change uh, schools. My master's plan has changed. I'm like, what? Why didn't I know that? Why didn't I not see that coming? And I realize I don't know what she's thinking as much as I think I know what she's thinking. And if that's true, then can I know really what the thoughts of God are? Because he's way more complex than Sarah. His thoughts are so high, but sometimes I think that I think like God. Do you think like that? Not that I'm God, but I think I know what God would think about that. But Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now for some of you, you're thinking that's really good news because I don't really understand what God is doing. But for others of us, or at other times, we're thinking, I really feel like I know what God is all about, what he's doing. I love that verse because it reminds me that God's, he's got way bigger thoughts than me. It's amazing. Uh, He's so much bigger, so much more to him than I could possibly comprehend. And I need to be reminded sometime that my thoughts are not his thoughts. My ways are not his ways. Even if you've been walking with Jesus for a very long time, you still need to find out what God's ways are, what God's thoughts are on a certain issue. His thoughts are way higher than ours. But 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Would you say that with me? We have the mind of Christ. You see, God's ways and his thoughts are way higher than mine, but we have access to them. We have access to the mind of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been saved and baptized and, and you have the Spirit, you have, you have access to the mind of Jesus. Let me ask you, does that make you a little bit uncomfortable? 
Does it make you just a little bit of access to something? Am I using that access? What does that mean? How do I process that? We have the mind of Christ. See, it's a, it's a dichotomy of his ways are higher, but I have access to them. Sometimes we simply crowdsource. And sometimes in our thinking, the way that we function is the way that we pick a restaurant. Right? We crowdsource it. Well, let's see what the reviews are. Let's see if there's a thousand people who've been there and how it was it. We do that same way for a vacation, different things that we use, maybe uh, suppliers or, um, or service people. I've got a new, need a new AC contractor. How do I find one? Well, you might crowdsource it. Not a bad idea, but it's really dangerous if you crowdsource your spiritual life. It's really dangerous. And today we're going to look at a group of people and Paul. One is crowdsourcing, the other is seeking the mind of Christ. Look with me at Acts chapter 23, verses 11 through 35. Acts chapter 23, verses 11 through 35. We finished with this verse last week, and I think it's so important for us to start it as we move into the next phase of Paul's journey. It says this, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. What a scene. I love the feel of that, don't you? Students at camp probably felt like the Lord was standing by them all week. And maybe you've had those experiences where you felt the presence of the Lord in that way, and you're like, He's standing by you to encourage you and tell you you're on the right track. Paul is probably pretty discouraged or potentially discouraged. He certainly needs to be ready for what's next. It says the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. Paul, you're on the right track. What you've done here in Jerusalem, you must go and do also in Rome. He has some challenging days ahead. And he's come through some challenging times. His, his former colleagues, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, had, had really just about wanted to kill him. The Pharisees were somewhat sympathetic to him, but the city of Jerusalem was very much against him, his own people. But Jesus came and stood by him and said, take courage. You're on the right track. What you're doing, you're going to continue to do, and I need you to be ready to do it in Rome. You see, that needs to be our posture, and we're going to talk about this a lot on Wednesday night. I hope you'll join us. Coming to Jesus saying, hey, if I'm wrong, I want you to correct me. I want you to adjust my thinking, adjust my path. Or I need you to encourage me that I'm going in the right direction. That needs to be our posture before the Lord. Too often we think we know and we don't really ask, or don't really give him permission to change direction. Let me ask you, if Jesus stood beside you today and said, I want you to change direction right now, are you open to that? Are you open to that? It's a little scary. We talk about a lot here at First Baptist Church about opening our hands and coming to Jesus with open hands saying, take out what you want to take out, 
put in what you want to put in. Be very careful about taking, going to him like this, right? I got anything in this hand you can have, but anything in this hand, I, I can't give that up. Jesus is calling us to say, I want you to come to me with open hands. And he stands by Paul and says, you're on the right track. I love the way Henry Blackaby describes um, this process in his book, Experiencing God. He talks about what he calls the crisis of belief. When Jesus leads you to take a step, when you walk with him through a decision and you, are, you have heard, really, literally just felt his presence to move you forward in a given direction, you always need to understand to expect a challenge right after that. There's going to be something that's going to happen to go, uh, did Jesus say that? And possibly turn you around. We have to go to him with open hands saying, direct me, change my direction. First thing I want us to see from this passage today is we need to run all of our decisions through the mind of Jesus before you move forward. All of them. Is this what you want? Some people say, oh, I don't know how to, we're going to talk about this Wednesday night, but listen, he wants you to know what to do way more than you want to do it. It's a question of do I really want what he wants. Verse 12. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Wow. That's pretty serious. And so that word for oath is... Uh, we get the word anathema from that. It's really evil, bad. It's a curse. We're going to be cursed if we don't kill Paul. Verse 13. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. And they went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. They tried to kill Paul already. They had uh, trumped up some charges against him that he had brought Gentiles into the temple. And then they, they tried to get the Romans to kill him. And now 40 guys have come together and said, listen, we're, we're taking an oath. This is serious. We're going to make sure that we kill this guy. And they go to the council, probably just the part of the council that included the Sadducees and the chief priests, which are the governing leaders, the religious leaders of, of Jerusalem at the time, and they say, hey, help us in our task to ambush this guy, and we're going to kill him. But no one stands up and says, uh, maybe we ought to pray about this. No one stands up and says, Hey, I think we might have a law against this somewhere. Isn't this in the Ten Commandments somewhere that you're not supposed to really just murder people? No one stops and thinks. No one says, listen, we've got this temple that is supposed to represent the presence of God. It's supposed to, it actually points forward to Jesus Christ, um, but it's, it's what we think is God's presence. Why don't we go send the chief priests in there to, to ask God about this? That would seem like a good idea. That nobody, nobody does that. Nobody does that. It's clear that what's happening here is that what they're doing is just having decided to do something, they just find people to agree with them. You know what? There's always people that will agree with you in whatever you've decided to do. You can always find people to get on your train of whatever you've decided to do. 
You see, crowdsourcing, crowdsourcing is dangerous when the crowd doesn't listen to Jesus. When you're taking what everybody else thinks as into your decision, and they don't listen to Jesus, it's very, very dangerous. You need someone to tell you what you really need to hear. Do you have people like that in your life? Have people who can tell you, even if you're excited about something, you think it's great that they'll say, listen, you might want to consider this. I remember when I was dating Julie back in the 1800s. (laughs) Seems like it, doesn't it? It was in the last millennium. Uh, We were living in Houston, Texas. I was in the oil field. Uh, We were having the time of our lives. And uh, we were moving toward engagement, I hoped, thought, maybe. Um, And uh, I knew, though, that my job was in a downward cycle, and I knew that I needed to move, and I was planning on leaving Houston. I was planning on moving to another state. And I hadn't shared this with her, but how do you share this with somebody you're dating, right? Kind of like, hey, we're dating. I'm about to move. Do you care? I mean, that seems kind of odd. but I was about to buy a ring, so I thought maybe I should. So a friend of mine stopped me in my tracks. He said, listen, have you told her that you're going to move? He goes, I didn't mention this to my wife-to-be. We got married, and we moved, and she left me. And I said, whoa, okay, I'll, I'll tell her. And uh, so I did, and she married me anyway which was amazing. Sure, I'll move with you if we get to that point. Um, but I was so grateful that my friend had us have that conversation and go through that question and talk through that rather than just tell me what I wanted to hear. Crowdsourcing is dangerous when the crowd doesn't listen to Jesus. You need to have people around you who will tell you what you don't want to hear, who love you and who hear from Jesus. Verse 16. Did you know that God uses normal people? If you're a normal person, would you just nod at me right now? Okay, most of you. Wow, cool. What I mean by that is God doesn't just use these incredible saints that you know of, right? Sometimes we think, well, God only uses this incredible person. They've been walking with Jesus for 60 years, and this person and that. God uses people like you. Like you. Just normal Everyday, regular people. I think we have spectacular people here, but I mean, he uses all of you. Verse 16, notice how God uses this young man. Now, the son of Paul's sister, who knew Paul had a sister anyway? I, I, I've read the Bible many times. I never knew. I missed this somehow. Now the, son, now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. Interesting that Paul has this much respect among the Romans that they will actually listen to him. Um, So he took him and brought him to the tribune. Tribune is the lead uh, Roman soldier of the thousand stationed in, in Jerusalem at the time. He took him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, and he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside and asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire some 
uh, somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink, until they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. Miraculously, someone who knew Paul, who had access to Paul, found out about this secret of just a regular, normal person. Now, what if this nephew had decided, you know what, I'm sure God's going to take care of it. I'm just going to stay home. The game's on. It's hot outside. I don't really need to go do anything about this. I'm sure other people know about this. It's probably common knowledge. See, God uses normal people to carry out His providential activity. So important for us to realize that. You may be thinking, God will use someone else to encourage my neighbor. God will use someone else to talk to that student that I know. God will use someone else to be a friend to someone who needs some, a little bit of encouragement. God will use someone else to share their Jesus story. If God's given you some information, He's planning on having you use it. He uses normal people. Now, let me just give you a caveat here because sometimes we get a little bit concerned and if you have a certain tradition, you'll think, well, I need to share my faith so many times a day and I need to get so many people saved. That's my job is to, is to, no, no, no. Listen, you just need to be faithful to tell what Jesus has done in your life. You need to be faithful to use the opportunities that he gives you. Please don't judge your faithfulness by the results and the success of how people receive you. My job is to be faithful. It's not necessarily to be liked, it's not to count up how many people I witness to or how many people get saved. We do count them because it's important just to know, but our success as a church is not based on numbers. It's based on are we faithful to the word of Jesus Christ. You see, you have a role. The third thing I want you to say is you have a role in God's providence, each of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a role in doing what God already wants to do and already will do. Would God have saved Paul if it hadn't been for the nephew? Yes, but he wanted to use the nephew. You won't be able to stop God's providence, but you have a role in it. You have an opportunity, and you need to be faithful to that. You have a role in God's providence. Sometimes people will say, well, you know what? God is going to do what he's going to do. I'm going to stay home. And not do anything and just watch God do what He wants to do. No, God wants to use you. He wants you to be involved. Don't miss the joy of being involved. Verse 22. So the tribune dismissed the young man and charged him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centuries and said, Get ready, 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. Whoa. God's providence is to use 470 Roman soldiers to rescue Paul from Jerusalem and bring him the 60 or 70 miles down to Caesarea. Isn't that cool? God uses these guys. Are, the, the Romans are not followers of the one true God. They are uh, they're polytheistic. They're pagans. They don't follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't follow Jesus. But God used them 
to gather 400, that's, that's almost half the total uh, detachment of Roman soldiers in Jerusalem, which is probably about 1,000 at this point. Tw- 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and Paul gets to ride with the horsemen, which would probably have been pretty cool, and 200 spearmen. This is a show of force, but it's 9 o'clock at night. The main goal here is to protect Paul. Essentially, God sends an armored motorcade, a police escort, a huge soldier army presence to rescue Paul. The point is that God's providence is invincible. When God wants to bring his messenger to where he wants to bring his messenger, it is absolutely going to happen. If God's called you to go somewhere, you need to be ready to go, and you need to realize that he's going to make a way for you to get there. Never think, well, I live in South Florida, I could never go reach people in another country. Oh, absolutely you can. Absolutely you can. God, I can't reach those people. Whatever God has called you to do, he will empower you to do. And he may provide some really crazy and unusual circumstances to get you there, including 470 soldiers to take you there. God's providence is absolutely invincible. So the Tribune writes a letter to send with Paul, and it's going to be about a two-day journey, and you have to bring paperwork because he's sending him down to Caesarea to the governor Felix, and it says this in verse 26, Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him. I've learned that he was a Roman citizen, and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about the questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris, which is halfway. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on without them. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. Lysias sends a letter, and he sends these troops out, He's guarded all the way the 30, 35 miles down to Antipatris, and then they, the soldiers come back and the, and the uh, horse soldiers move on. Essentially says the Jews are about to kill them. We rescued him. Please figure out what's going on and bring his accusers in to talk to him. Paul is delivered to Caesarea, which is on the Mediterranean on the west coast of, of the land of Israel there. Verse 34. On reading the letter, he, that's Felix, He asked what province he, that's Paul, was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Here's what's happening. God has delivered his man to another level of leadership, Felix. He has given him this opportunity through opponents, which is something we've talked about the last several weeks. Opponents are opportunities, right? They're going to have the opportunity to bring God glory in the face of the opponents. You always need to be ready to tell your story. He provides the opportunity. He's responsible for the results. Your role is to be faithful. 
to sum this up, you don't think like Jesus. Do we agree? Anybody disagree? I'll talk to you later. See you outside. You don't naturally think like Jesus. Constantly be going to him with your plans and dreams and be ready to adjust. You say, Steve, how do I do that? We're going to unpack this a little more on Wednesday night. But if you want to just simply think of the model prayer, God, I want your kingdom to come and your will be done. You've been saying this your entire life. Do you really want that? Do you really want God to do whatever He wants to do in your life? Even if it means a change of direction. Even if it means, if it means He's going to bring somebody in your life and say, listen, you need to consider this that you haven't even thought about. To tell you something you don't want to hear. I want your kingdom to come, not mine. I want your will to be done, not mine. I want to build your kingdom and not my kingdom. That's a real hard one for us in the Western world because we want to build our kingdom, don't we? I want to build my retirement. You want to build your home. You want to build your family. You want to build your influence. You want to build your business. It's constantly about stuff we want to build. Do I want to build your kingdom above anything else? Do I want to build your kingdom above anything else? Or do I want something more than your kingdom? talked a few weeks ago about what your primary identity is. If your primary identity is a follower of Jesus, your goal is to build His kingdom. That's what you're all about. I want your kingdom, not mine. I want your will, not mine. And then, I love the last real phrase of the model prayer. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. God doesn't lead you into temptation. What Jesus was saying in this, he's saying, keep me off the paths that get me distracted. Keep me off of the ways, the roads that lead me away from you. Deliver me from evil. It's a simple prayer to come to Jesus with your stuff. And we're going to work this out on Wednesday. You don't think like Jesus. Consistently. Daily, constantly, go to Jesus with your plans and dreams and be ready to adjust. He wants you to know His will way more than you ever want to know it. Don't assume that you know. We need to listen to Jesus instead of crowdsourcing our life. I want to know what you want. You need to listen to Jesus and listen to other Jesus followers who are faithfully following Him. But be careful about just doing what everyone around you is doing. Maybe today you're thinking, you know, Steve, I've made a lot of decisions like this that I didn't ever really ask Jesus about. I've made some life decisions. I've made some poor decisions. And I really think I've just got to, you know, it's my bed. I, I've, I, I've made my own bed. Now I've got to lay in it. Not really. Jesus loves you too much. He's ready for you to come to him and say, I, I repent of walking away from you. I repent of making bad decisions. I repent of being selfish. I repent of crowdsourcing my life. I, I want to fit in with your life, Jesus. Oh, he would love that. That's what he runs to. 
You've not ruined your whole life. He's ready to put you back in to conform your life to His life. He wants to walk with you. He wants to live inside of you. That's how He wants to function. So many people have had tough times or made bad decisions or, and they think it's, it's not over. Jesus Christ, He's the God of the second chance. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived to thinking you're just going to live out your days. Oh, He's much more powerful than that. He's much more powerful than 470 Roman soldiers. He can rescue you from the enemy. See, this matters today. So what does it matter? I'm just a person. I'm just going to live out my life. What does it matter? Listen, it matters because Rome needs to hear your Jesus story. The world outside needs to hear your Jesus story. The place where Jesus is going to send you next, maybe this afternoon as you go to lunch, maybe as you go to work, maybe He's going to move you across the continent, across the world. They need to hear your story. You're like, I don't have a story. Listen, if Jesus Christ has saved you, you have a story. You have a story. The God of the universe, if He's made Himself real to you, to where you've received His salvation, you've been born again, you've repented of your sins, and He's made you innocent, you have a story. You have a story. You say, I don't know, I haven't told my host. Listen, you just need to tell a part of it. You just need to share hope. You just need to live as though Jesus is real. You just need to be faithful. If you've not received that gift, I urge you today, listen to what's going on in your heart right now. Is there a sense of the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Is there a sense of Him saying, I want to save you. I want you to be my child. I want to do something supernatural in you. The only requirement on your part is to say, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to turn from my sin and I want to receive your gift, Jesus. That's his invitation to you today. Has that happened in your life? Or have you been resistant to that and maybe you've listened to a crowd? Your crowd your people. And it's kept you from that. And you've kept Jesus at bay. Listen, He won't ask you forever. There'll be an end to that. Don't wait. Don't miss the incredible thing that Jesus wants to do in your life. This is not, this is not a lifestyle. This is not choosing a political party. It's not, this is choosing to follow Jesus Christ, the God of the universe. There will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But it'll be too late to be saved on that day. Today is the day. Don't live your life crowdsourced. Live your life listening to Jesus. You don't think like Him, but you do have access. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, I'm overwhelmed by the fact that you've made yourself known to me and to many in this room. 
But I know in a crowd this size, there are several at least that have yet to receive you. God, I, I'm asking you to draw them to you today. That they would not miss you. You, for somehow, in some way that we can't even understand, we, we somehow have the right to say yes or no. And you will never force yourself on any of us. We're praying, Lord. We want others to know you because we know the joy of knowing you. And God, for those of us who've been following you for a while, Lord, forgive us when we think we know your mind and we haven't even asked you. Oh, we come to you with open hands, asking you, ready to be adjusted, ready for you to change our way. Oh, we praise you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?